every time we every time we saw someone like you know it's it was one of those things where you know uh you know like when you buy a car all of a sudden you see that car on the highway <laughs> okay so your child gets diagnosed and then all of a sudden you start figuring out who has the same diagnosis or something similar like oh wait they got through that or they're going through it and they're okay that's a possibility oh okay there's hope there right episode of the No Half Cakes podcast. And with me today um, is a guest that I met back in November when I was doing a speak talk on No Half Cakes, which uh, obviously you're here, kind of you know what that means. So uh, No Half Cakes to me is a very personal story about success and what it means to be successful and growing through failure. And um, <clears throat> a large part of that story for me was having faith and hope in the end result. And man, I thought I knew a lot about what it means to have faith and hope until uh, the person who went after me to speak, uh, who I'm going to bring on in a moment here, went up and delivered a conversation about hope and faith that rocked me. So, uh, you know, I knew in that moment, I said, hey, will you honor me and, and show up here and have this conversation together? Because to have the conversation about faith and hope if it's even 0.1% of what I know she's capable of delivering, you are going to walk away from this episode with so much perspective and just joy for life. So without further ado, I want to introduce a good friend of mine, Miss Lee Greenies. Lee, I am honored to have you here with me. Thank you so much for having me. Can I make one yes. correction? Yes, please do. If you edited this, it's just Leah. Oh. It's not Lee, but Leah. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Well, is that bad? Did I just ruin the whole no, thing? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. I, I appreciate it because uh, I'll own that mistake. That's okay. Bad. Um, Comment. All right, cool. So now, now that we've established I goofed, um, <laughs> I still want to honor you with uh, this conversation on faith and hope because um, what you did deliver that night, your message of faith and hope was really eye-opening and and. I would love if you could just kind of give our audience a, a brief recap of, of who you are, kind of your backstory and, and where that faith and hope comes from. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm not used to having the capacity or the platform to speak. Um, as I said, the night we met, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just a girl originally from Syracuse, New York, who moved down to, um, the downstate area with my husband, who is a Greek Orthodox priest, um, who serves a parish in um, Flushing, Queens. And um, five years ago, um, we were just, you know, normal, average people raising, you know, three little kids from, you know, age two, four and almost six. And um, our world got rocked when our oldest child, our son, who was otherwise a healthy kid, became ill for um, just over six months and we couldn't figure out why. It turned out to be a malignant brain tumor, which is very rare. It's called an ependymoma. And I have to say the name because 
I need to bring awareness to that type of um, pediatric cancer. It's like 200 pediatric cases a year. So we hit the lottery in reverse, you could say. And um, we went through a journey of six months of him being sick and not knowing why to another three months of, um, you know, surgery, radiation, treatment. And we were displaced in um, between here in Long Island and Philadelphia for his radiation treatment. And then we had months of his recovery and of, the, of all of that aftermath. And um, I think someone going through cancer is probably everyone's fear when you become a parent. Oh, having a child who is ill and that horrible C word, you know, it haunted me at night. Um, even before his diagnosis, I kind of had this weird gut feeling that our oldest son, Constantine, was going to be going through something. Like I had always, I had these random times where I would wake up in the middle of the night, I would cry, I couldn't figure out why, I knew something was wrong. And then um, this was when he was a baby, like when he was perfectly healthy. And then, you know, here he is just shy of six years old and he's sick. And I've, I've got this weird feeling that, you know, this isn't just some, you know, GI issue. This is something bigger and worse. And um, unfortunately, as a mom, that inclination was right. He was diagnosed. He was given fantastic, you know, care at NYU Long Island, formerly known as Winthrop. And we had to, like I said, go to Philadelphia for his proton beam radiation and, um, and just watch a lot of months of physical therapy because an occupational therapy and speech therapy, because the surgery rocked him. You have a child who is otherwise normal and functioning other than being sick. And then all of a sudden they can't speak. They can't talk. They can't walk. Um, and you go through this horrible period of worry whether you know you're ever going to get your kid back and you know the night that we met at the speak event you know a lot of my talk was about what community does and community rallied us through and faith rallied us through and not just because my husband is a priest and because we're greek orthodox but because we had to really work for that and some days it wasn't easy and a lot of people, you know, lifted us up and, um, you know, we're here today and Constantine is, you know, thank God cancer free. And I'm in a very interesting position now because I'm finishing nursing school and I have to, you know, sorry about the beef. <laughs> sorry about the beef. I'm in a very interesting position now because, um, I'm in nursing school. I'm about to finish and I have to, uh, I have to prepare myself for, you know, having families that need hope from medical staff because sometimes they don't have a community around them. So, um, you know, we're watching our son grow and thrive and um, the ramifications of cancer are real and they don't stop when treatment is over. And that's something that we have to address and deal with um, as he's growing. But, you know, thank God we have so many things to be thankful for. And our son is here and he's strong and healthy and a happy kid. Yeah. That's, that's a lot to deal with. Um, but yeah. you, you've certainly rocked it. Um, at least from what I've seen and heard, can you talk to me a little bit about that room? Oh, that room, that room of that room that was, 
Oh, that room was that you are referring to was the room where, you know, the night that he was diagnosed, we needed to do a CT of his head. It was actually, it wasn't even a neurologist that diagnosed him. It was um, the gastroenterologist that sent him for the CT scan. We're supposed to do a CT and an endoscopy that day. And um, we did the CT first. And then all of a sudden this very tall, very Irish neurosurgeon walks in our um, emergency room with our son and starts speaking Greek. <laughs> and later we found out that uh, his wife was Greek and, but at the time he was very professional and, you know, he kept it, you know, all about the situation with Constantine and he and the head of the ED and a bunch of other doctors escorted us to this conference room on the first floor of, of Winthrop hospital. And they, you know, they told us um, immediately without sugarcoating it. And I few, I remember the walk there with my husband. I was holding my husband's hand. It was just us. Child life stayed with our son in the room. So he wasn't alone, obviously, because this is adult conversation. And I remember that walk and I have never experienced shaking in my body. Like something's coming and I have no idea what to do. I have no idea how to take this physically and visibly shaking, I remember. And um, they said, you know, we, he has a sizable brain tumor. It's, it's, the CT shows it. it's definitely a brain tumor. It's definitely cancer. And I, I, I don't know how my husband and I stayed in our chairs. I don't know how we didn't fall out of our chairs. I think my husband almost like passed out, to be honest with you. And I, I kind of laugh about it now because... It was just such a shocking moment. You, you look back and you can't believe that it even happened. And you can't even, I still replay those words in my head. So basically what happened was, you know, we had to be in the hospital for three weeks while he was, you know, doing his surgery, recovering from his surgery. And every day in and out of the hospital, I had to walk past that conference room. And I think every day I said, I want to burn this room to the ground. <laughs> I hate this room so much. Um, I couldn't even look at it. I would literally walk past it like this. Like if I was walking past it, I would, I wouldn't even look at it. Um, because I didn't understand what trauma was until that moment. And I didn't even know how to recognize that it was trauma because I'd never experienced anything in my life like that. And, um, it took a while to get over it. And someone who was very dear to us came to visit us and said, you know, you, you really can't hate that room. That room is where his healing started because before that room, he was sick without any answers. And I remember when, when this woman said this was, she was a cancer survivor herself. And she's like, this is where, this is where his healing started. This is where you had a plan and there was a road forward. And she was totally right because Prior to that, it was me at home, literally, literally the day of his diagnosis, I, we have, we're Greek Orthodox. So we have icons of, of Jesus Christ, of, of different saints. And I remember hearing Constantine throw up in the other room because he was so sick. And I remember going to my icon and I remember looking at it and I'm, I said to my icon of Christ, that's still on my oven to this day in the same spot. And I said, you need to show us what this is today. Cause this was six months of us not knowing what it was six months. Can you imagine? 
And literally that day, that prayer was answered. It was not easy to hear, but it was answered. And then when our friend said that to us, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so right. I got exactly what I was asking for, what we were all asking for for months. Um, and from then we did have a plan for it. Unfortunately, you just have to hit rock bottom to get there sometimes. And in hindsight, that moment was not rock bottom because he had a very oh, difficult medical journey that um, uh, it's a completely different story, but um, he almost lost his life in Philadelphia because of an incident that was thankfully resolved by some very expert um, pediatric ICU medical team staff. Um, but that was, it was a rock bottom moment. It definitely was. And, and how do you come out of that? How do you, how on earth, like we, we looked at each other, like we, we literally were, my husband and I were looking at each other, like we could not believe what we were hearing. And when you, when you think about like the stages of grief, the first one is disbelief, you know, you get a call, someone passes away you're in disbelief. And then you go through anger and, and all of it and, com and uh, compromise. And you, it's a long road to get to acceptance. It's a very long road to get to acceptance. So that room, I mean, I was living, I was living disbelief and anger every day walking past that room like this. And then a very funny thing happened maybe a year or so ago, I had to do my nursing clinical rotation at um, that hospital at, at Langone in Long Island. And where the way, the way I would come in, I would have to walk past that room. And my very first day I had to like, I had to prepare myself because I hadn't been in the hospital in that hospital since, um, with the exception of maybe doing like an MRI, but it was a different entrance. I didn't really have to walk past room. And I still, to this day, don't know why I have such a visceral feeling to that room. But again, I think it's partially trauma, <laughs> but I remember every day I was able to just walk along the wall and I could sort of brush my hand along the hallway wall as I was walking to like meet my classmates and my professor. And like, like for me, that was me accepting it. Like we're here now, this room is okay. It still brings a tear, but it's okay. And, um, Time has to kind of go by before you realize that you, you're strong by yourself and with people and you can actually get over the mountain. But that's what that room was. It was a big, big mountain to climb. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely is. And I think you touched on a, a lot of good points there. Um, one of them to me that, that really stands out is, is the meaning that you assign to things in the moment. And the, the room in and of itself was neutral, right? It, it never changed. The room just stayed the room. Yep. Um, and, you know, you, you hit a point where you, you prayed for an answer and you got your answer. And, you know, I think sometimes you, when you get the thing you pray for and all of a sudden it doesn't feel like what you wanted, right? It, it causes you to feel a certain way about your faith and your hope. And um, I do think when you're able to kind of take a pause and have that community around you to give you a different perspective and to kind of hold your hand through it, 
right? You get to a point where you realize it might not have been what you wanted in the moment, but it, it may be what you needed to get to that next level where you can really assign a different meaning to it. And you can realize, Hey, this, this point in my life is being used for good, right? Even though it may not feel like it in the moment. And even though you can feel like, Hey, why does this terrible thing need to happen to anyone? Right. But, um, could you talk a little bit about how you think your relationship with faith has changed kind of in the before and after of that? Do sure. you think your faith has, has grown through that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say I was always very sort of gung ho with zeal, um, secure in my faith. And it didn't really, because a lot of times when people go through these situations, um, they get very angry at God and they sort of lose that faith. And I never, we never had that. Um, I knew instantly this was bigger than us. And like I said, I never went any, went through anything like really traumatic in my life. And I knew instantly, God, you're going to have to carry this. You're going to have to carry this with us and for us. And um, it didn't necessarily get stronger. It didn't necessarily increase or decrease, but I just kind of looked at it differently. Um, for example, I just saw things where I felt God was with us the whole time. Very, very small, subtle things. Um, you have to know a lot about our Greek Orthodox faith in order to get it. So like we follow a fasting period, 40 days before Christmas, 40 days before our Easter. Um, normally on Wednesdays and Fridays, we are essentially on a vegan diet. And it's not a sort of a it's not, uh, it's not done as punishment. It's done sort of as a discipline. That's how I explain it to people who don't really understand what it is. Um, and it's hard. It's hard. I, I love to eat. <laughs> Everybody does. And, you know, Constantine finished all of his treatment uh, right before Christmas. And then shortly after that, we actually, in February, March, we start the 40 days of fasting for um, Easter. So we're, we're allowed to eat a lot of different things. It's just not meat or dairy or fish. Um, and I re particularly remember that, that fasting period, that Lent, where I said, oh my gosh, I was excited to fast because I'm like, God gave me my kid back healthy and in one piece. I, I, what could I possibly give back to God to say thank you? But it was this. So it was sort of just like normal things that we kind of had done, going to church, fasting. Um, uh, you know, we try to do our short, like five minute daily prayers with our kids. Even sometimes it's in the car going to school, whatever it is. Just moments like that seeking sort of a connection and allowing myself to not be so rudimented in my, in my faith um, really was what I was looking for when I was, when I found what was happening. Like if I, if I was saying any kind of prayer, 
whether it be my own or whether it be from like a prayer book or something that we say regularly, I just felt every word had deeper meaning. Like we say Jesus is the, is the, is there's a prayer at the end of, you know, we don't say mass, we say liturgy, divine liturgy. And there's a prayer at the end where it says that Jesus is the physician of our souls and bodies. And I can't hear that the same anymore. You know what I mean? Right. So it's just different things. It didn't increase, it didn't decrease, but it just, I looked for different things. And we had, you know, there's a service called Holy Unction where it's blessed oil. We do it a couple of times a year. Um, my husband goes to the hospital to give people Holy Unction when they're, when they're ill, when they're dying. And, um, you know, my husband being a priest called in my brother, who's a priest, um, our friends, all of his brother priests came to the hospital. And it turned out that seven priests came and I didn't know this, but originally Holy Unction was supposed to be performed in the service by seven priests. So it was just like little moments like that. It was little moments how our neurosurgeon was married to a Greek Orthodox physician. And he actually attends at the Greek church here in Merrick sometimes. He's a very faithful man. He's like best friends with my husband right now. They have talks about faith and religion and icons. And my husband is an iconographer. He paints icons. It's like these beautiful relationships are forming. You see people advocate for you. And I'm like, this can't be from anywhere else. If anything, it just solidified everything I already knew in a nutshell, in a nutshell. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm hearing you say in a lot of that is kind of much like the room the room was there, right? The room never changed. A lot of these things are here around us every day, but we're not opening our eyes to what's going on, right? We get lost in ourselves. We get lost in the day to day. Yes. Right. Yep. Every day. Right? School, <laughs> yeah, kids, dress, work. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, when you kind of stop and slow down for a second and you open your eyes to the miracles that are going on around you, right. To the, to the perspectives that kind of you gain from uh, just being faithful from having hope from understanding that all things are working together for good. Right. When you can look around and see the things going on around you, it, it really just gives you that, that deeper perspective or that different perspective that I think so many people are just missing out on because they're not willing to open their eyes to it. Sure. What's that Ferris Bueller line? Life moves fast. If you don't stop and look around, you might miss it. <laughs> Can we substitute miracles? Miracles are all around. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't look around, you might miss it. You know, I think a, a large part of that is having hope and faith. I don't think it's a, it's an increase in hope or an increase in faith, but I think it's a, a more an awareness to that deeper connection. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was, there was so much. Oh, I could probably write a book. <laughs> I you could probably, probably write a book. I probably should I'd probably write it with my husband. Cause he's far more articulate than I am. But, um, I will say that um, we were in a very interesting situation because, uh, and I hate to call it an advantage, but I mean, I think people 
I think the studies are out there that that show that when people are going through um, a disease, um, or a, acute or chronic, it doesn't matter. When they have community, when they have faith, they tend to they tend to their prognosis is usually a lot better. Um, and you know, we were in a situation where. In the first couple of days, no one in our community knew what was going on. They knew Constantine was sick. They, they knew he was out of school. And someone, I don't know who, um, organized a prayer service at our church. This was before his surgery. So this was like within the first, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Um, as far as, unless I'm wrong, I don't, I don't recall, but... Everyone knew he was in the hospital. Nobody knew why. Nobody knew why. Uh, Because we didn't tell anybody because we didn't know what was going on. We wanted to, you know, we wanted to let the surgery happen because that surgery was sort of the fork in the road as far as what we needed to do treatment wise. And this prayer service is usually performed like once a week. It's prayers to the mother of God, the Panagia. It's called a paraclisis. And um, if anyone listening is interested, you can always, you know, go on YouTube and find it. It's in English. It's a beautiful prayer service for healing. And um, I want to tell you that our church in, in Flushing, which is a large church, was packed, packed. And I say that because everyone tells me that all the time. They had no, like, it just spread by word of mouth. We're doing the Paraclisi service at church at this time for Costadino, for Constantine. You know, if you can come, please come packed. And it floored me. It it was like the first, I was like, I was so taken aback by it. And from there, just, we were given like a flood of prayers. I have people to this day, five years later. How's Constantine? I pray for him every day in my morning prayers. And it's, it's still, it still blows me away. It still blows me away. It still lifts me up to this day. Um, and I don't know, I still don't know how to respond to it sometimes because I know my son is worthy of it. I don't know that I'm worthy of it. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Um, <clears throat> let me say that you are, right? I, I'd be remiss to not confirm that you are. So, please know that but it's a real struggle um you know especially in in feeling like why does this get put on me um what am i supposed to do with this right there's a lot of weight that comes with that yeah uh is it something that you've ever considered right because you're working to become a a registered nurse right that's sometime in this next year have you ever considered that you may be that person to give someone hope, right? Just like that person said, you can't hate that room because what that room means. Have you ever kind of considered that you may now have that perspective and that opportunity to be that hope for so many other people? I have considered that and, um, I've already experienced it a little bit. Um, it's amazing how one person's story can spread far and wide. Um, I had the opportunity to speak to, I've had the opportunity to speak to a few parents who have 
currently children who are suffering with different types of cancers, whether it be brain cancer or lymphoma. And um, something very interesting happens when when you're the when you're the parent of a child with with cancer or any sort of chronic disease. Um, you really can't talk to just anybody about it. You have to sort of pick and choose who you talk to about it because everyone means well and everyone wants to offer their support and well wishes, but no one gets it unless they've lived it. And I've had people call me say, would you mind speaking to this mom? Um, her child is going through this and she just wants to talk to someone who's had a similar experience. And I always say yes, because I looked for those people when, you know, five years ago when our son was sick, I needed to speak to those people. I needed, I needed more than very simple answers. I needed, I had real questions. Um, and sometimes medical staff doesn't have those questions. Um, I was just talking to a mom the other day, her son is, you know, battling lymphoma and she's had, you know, the most, um, wonderful conversations with people. And she's also had responses from people that are like baffled my mind, things, things that people say. And I remember things that people said to me, like people had theories about why Constantine had brain cancer and how it came about. And I, I couldn't believe some of the things that I was hearing. And you have to get really good at, you know, having in one ear out the other. And I hope that as a registered nurse, I'm sort of, I hope God willing that I'll have the capacity to help people from a medical standpoint, but also from the standpoint of, you know, my own life experience. I, I, I'm 100% like prepared for that and bring it on honestly, because I wish that we had more medical staff like that around us. They were fantastic within their scope of practice, but when you're in a hospital for weeks on end, you need answers outside of medicine. You need life answers. Um, and thankfully, most hospital systems have support for that. But again, it's not the same unless you speak to someone who lived it. Right. And, I mean, total, total side story, total side story. Um, I have a friend who works for Good Morning America. She's an operations producer. I'm pretty sure her title is, so she's some kind of operations producer. For Maria, forgive me if I got your title wrong and you're hearing this. And Yesterday, I don't know if you saw Good Morning America, they um, had Michael Strahan on and he, um, there was like a 12 minute clip with Robin Roberts about how Michael Strahan's daughter is battling a medulloblastoma in her brain and they kept it quiet and no one at GMA knew what was going on. And she texted me like right after it aired and she goes, Leah, you have to watch this. And and I did, and my husband watched it too. And we were just like, I could see Michael Strahan's face in the interview with Robin Roberts and every expression on his face was my expression. Like, I get that. I understand everything from the what is going on segment to, oh my gosh, what is happening segment to, oh my gosh, how do we recover from this segment? I knew it every step of the way. And I, I texted my friend back and I said, please go give Michael Strahan a big hug from me because I get him. And I don't know whether she did or not, but I'm telling you right now that if 
And I remember people that would come up to me and say, I know so-and-so who went through this, their kid is okay, or this is coming from another parent. I received that. I always received that because you need that. It's just, it's, I don't want to say that the average person wishing you well on the street isn't worth it, but it is very worth it. It's just different. Right. It's just different. It is. Um, you know, I know you mentioned before how people with a deeper level of faith tend to yield better results, right? And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I do wish that people would understand that. People would understand having that relationship with your faith, right? Having faith in your relationship. Both those things are so critically important and not just in the moment that you absolutely need it, mm-hmm. but building that the entire time. Yep. I do also wish people would understand the power of community. And I'd love for you to speak on this if you could. Because I feel like in that moment, and I'm going to make some assumptions because I have not been in this position specifically, but I imagine that there's a a moment of, I don't know where to turn. No one will understand. I'm in this by myself. What am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people sit in that for a very long time. And as it turns out, there are a lot of people who have similar life experiences who are willing to share that and have that community together. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious for your perspective on, on going through that process. And if there is some way that we can encourage people to reach out and have that community factor faster. Yes. Yeah. So for me, the faith and the community dovetail each other. Um, and like you said, you can't just seek out the community or the faith when it's convenient for you or when it's necessary. You have to do the work when it's not necessary, right? Um, I just saw this clip on Instagram. I'm going to divert. So it was a mom teaching her kids about faith and having that armor. So she had two little nectarines. One was peeled and one was unpeeled. And she says to the kids, what's the difference? And the kid says, that one's peeled. That one's not peeled. And she says, okay, the peel is the armor of God. She had two glasses of water, clear glasses of water. And she says to the kids, what do you think is going to happen when I put these two nectarines in? They're like the little cutie oranges, right? What do you think is going to happen when I put them in the water? And the kids knew it right away. The, The one without the peel, the one without the armor of God is sinking right to the bottom. Sure enough, it did. And I never, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is it. This is the metaphor. You need that armor before you are thrown into deep water. But that work, that work doesn't happen instantaneously. It happens when, when you don't need the armor, right? An army doesn't prepare for battle the day of. They spent, an army prepares months to years to build their army, to build weapons, to build shields when it's not necessary. So when battle comes, they are ready, right? And it has to be there. I mean, I, ha- I would have to say if you're in a position and you, you find yourself not knowing where to turn or what to do, you know, do everything you can to have that relationship with God. 
when we take one step to him, he takes 10 steps to us. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I remember there was a point, several points, moments where I would look at my husband. This was more so when we were like in Philadelphia and we saw, we were at the Ryland McDonald house. So we were rounded by kids, you know, who had lost their hair from their chemotherapy, who were sick, who were in and out of the hospital because, you know, they weren't doing well, just like, just like our son was. And I looked at, I remember so many times like, what would we do if we didn't have our faith? I don't know what I would do. I don't, I truthfully don't know what I would do without our faith. The faith in, in, in the sense of just having the faith itself and the strength and that armor of faith and then the community that comes with it. Right. Which is why I believe they dovetail because you can't have one without the other. I, I truly believe that you really can't have one without the other. If you put in the work. I agree. Your, your metaphor there of the nectarine, I know that you may not be yours necessarily. You saw it, but let's talk about it for a second. Yeah. Um, how great is that? It is great. How great and is that? The first thing I thought of after hearing that is when that nectarine grows, it doesn't grow the fruit first and then somewhere down the road it grows the shield, right? The skin. The skin is essentially there from the start. Oh. And that skin grows with it to protect the fruit as the fruit on the inside grows. Oh, wonderful. And so the fruit on the inside will only grow if the outside is covered. Yes. And I feel like people need to understand that part because too many people are trying to grow nectarines and then put on the skin later on in life and then mm -hmm. being mad that the fruit never grew. But yep. that fruit is not going to grow in your life unless you put that skin on first and grow that thing the entire time. Yep. And that to me is such a powerful metaphor of, why it's important to have that from the start, right? And even if you don't have it yet, start today, yep. right? Because there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to need that. Yep. And I don't want to wish that on anybody, but unfortunately, look, life is going to test us and put us in situations where we, we are going to need that. And I think the further, you, the further you go to resist feeling like you need faith in your life, mm -hmm. the further you're going to be pushed into realizing that you're wrong and you do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I strongly believe that too. So, and yeah, I told, so, and I, there's something so, um, there's something so powerful about, you know, about humility that we're not strong enough by ourselves, that we need, we need God with us, that we need the prayers of the saints. Um, it's very freeing. Because then all of a sudden you feel like you're not going through it alone. I always felt that. I always yes. felt that. And I, I absolutely love and agree with what you said that, you know, we have to, how do you, uh, this is a, my, I wish my husband was here, honestly, because this is his struggle too. How do we have people understand that, you know, it's not enough to just, you know, show up on Sundays. It's not enough to just show up, um, you know, to your private church school. What happens in between is where faith is lived and faith is in 
faith is in the home. It starts in the home. And it's so um, difficult to, I think, convince people that there's so many distractions that are just are not worth our time and space um, that we really we like we have to we have, we as a society have to like really reprioritize um, how we go about our day. And it's you know, you can't you can you know, lead a horse to water. You can't make it drink. But I think I think. That things like this, Jim, conversations like this are a light bulb for some people to reinvite things like faith back into their lives. It could be, you know, it could be faith. It could be physical health. It could be emotional health. It could be, you know, physical or whatever it is. And like you said, it's never too late to start, right? The point is that today is better than yesterday, right? Right. Today's better than yesterday. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I think I see a lot of people from, from the business side of things mm -hmm. who are in the CEO leader position or title, I should say, who have that me first mentality uh -huh. <clears throat> where you're putting yourself as the focal point, right? You are your own icon in that point. And I don't see it work out well, nearly ever. Part of the problem there is most of those people have deep rooted childhood traumas in some way, shape or form, whether they want to recognize it or not. But as we grow up in our lives, we pick things up along the way. Whether you want to call it trauma or not, you can define it how you want. But in this 30 to 50 year old body of yours, right? You, you are living out the things that you've picked up along the way. And I see a lot of people who are either narcissistic or egotistical or prideful who do not have that faith component and they put themselves as the, the front and center of everything that they do. And it nearly never works out. Mm -hmm. Now, what I've seen and a large reason why I do this podcast to have these conversations, I do what I do every day is those people are not bad people. They are not broken people. They are people. Okay, they are no different than me or you. They are just people who are hurting with a thing, whether they may realize or not. Mm -hmm. And I believe that all people have a need to feel loved, seen, heard, and appreciated. And when you can have that conversation and approach someone with judgment-free love, right? and it takes you going first, it takes you having that conversation and saying, hey, I see you where you're at. I'm not judging you. I'm not critiquing you. I'm seeing you for who you are. And I'm willing to love and pour into you and give from what I have because I know it was given to me to give out to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you can live a life like that where you can just freely and openly give, it allows those people to see, hey, maybe it's possible to change, to grow, right? Maybe there is another level for this where they don't feel uh, like, screw everybody else, it's just me, no one else really cares. Right. But I think it's going to take a lot of people to have that conversation, to stand up first, be willing to do that. Um, I see a lot of people in the success space who are proclaiming their success is all monetary. It's the house, the car, the bank account, like all that stuff is cool, but that's a byproduct of your standards. It's a byproduct of, of the work that you do and the love that you pour into other people. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have these awesome things. They're awesome. Right? I love toys. Toys are cool, but that shouldn't be the focus. 
right? The people should be the focus and the purpose, not the profit first. So yeah, I agree. And, and I thank you for that because having conversations like these, even if it unlocks one person to go through their day with a slightly different perspective, to not feel alone, to feel like they have someone that they could reach out to, right? To feel like it's possible for me too. And then that I think the example of possibility is probably the most important thing that we can do as humans and as just, you know, examples of what you can do when you put faith first, right? When you are willing to have the conversations and, and just to love one another for who we are. So I agree. Thank you. Absolutely. And that's where hope is, right? That's another, that's another element of receiving hope. When you see someone, um, you know, who's, who's gone through it, or when you see someone who, you know, makes a change and recognizes a change and someone else could be looking for a change. They don't even realize they need it. Um, it's like you said, it's that it's sort of that light bulb moment of like, Oh wait, I can do something too. Um, it is possible for me. Possibilities. Possibility is hope. It really is. Yeah. So happy you mentioned that. So happy you mentioned that because we experienced it every time we, every time we saw someone like, you know, it's, it was one of those things where, you know, uh, you know, like when you buy a car, all of a sudden you see that car on the highway. Yes. <laughs> okay. So your child gets diagnosed and then all of a sudden you start figuring out who has the same diagnosis or something similar. Like, oh, wait, they got through that or they're going through it and they're okay. That's a possibility. Oh, okay. There's hope there, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that same thing holds true with with gratitude, with your perspective. You know, if you are constantly thinking negative thoughts and putting negative out into the world, you're going to see that everywhere. But if you are, are rooted in gratitude and faith and, and you put that first, you're going to see the miracles. And I think that's, you know, there's so much alignment there with what you're focusing on is what you see. Yep. Right? And just like before, when that room had a totally different meaning based on the perspective that you had, I think it takes that conversation. It takes the gratitude and the perspective change to really give life that meaning. And how awesome is it to walk around with that perspective? Like we're all living in, in the same place. Mm -hmm. We have such wildly different experiences while we're here based on our perspective and the things that we focus on. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. This is, man, this has been a great conversation. I have two additional questions for you, if I may. Of course. Question number one, if you had one piece of advice to give to someone that would give them a slightly better day today, this one little nugget that they could take with them, implement today, and just live a more full and meaningful life, what do you think that might be for you? Um, I would say find, the, find joy in everything. Find the joy in every little thing. Find the joy. I love it. Last question. Favorite type of cake? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh my gosh. I don't have a sweet tooth. <laughs> All right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, I, oh, jeez. Oh, now I'm salivating. Okay, hold on. 
Okay, it's a, it's a real toss up between velvet, carrot, and cheesecake. Okay, so my cousin's cheesecake is out of bounds good. So I probably would have to pick my cousin, not any cheesecake, but my cousin Eleni's cheesecake. Okay, what what makes it so good? Is there like a different flavor to it, a topping, just you know the recipe? She, she made it for me one time on my birthday when I was still living up upstate in Syracuse. And I don't know, maybe just because it was homemade. It just, it looked homemade and it tasted homemade. And it, I think, you know what it was? It was made with love. That's what it was. There you go. It was that made makes a difference. Love. I'll tell you that for sure. It was made with love and it was made with joy. That's why. I love it. That's what it comes down to. It, you know what? I'll tell you the truth. It does make a big difference. Yep. You know, whether people realize it or not, there's a, there's a tangible difference when you can uh, see that something's been made with love, whether that's cheesecake or a website or whatever else. Changes awesome. <clears throat> sure does. You've changed mine for the better. So I appreciate this conversation more than I can say. Um, Jim, I thank you so much. And like I said, I'm not used to having the opportunity or the platform, but I will just say that I will just say as a parent, um, this and our speak event that we shared in November was amazing because I um, realized that night that no one really hears the perspective of the parent. When someone goes through cancer, it's hopefully short-lived and everyone's attention goes to the patient and everyone wants to hear the patient's perspective, but no one rarely wants to hear from the parent. And I thank you for letting the parent speak on behalf of all the parents of warriors and fighters. Thank you so much. Thank you, because, you know, I think it, it gives them a voice to feel heard and, you know, eyes to feel seen. And I think, like we said before, that's what this is all about. Like, we are all in this for the same reason. Yep. And when we can just show up, spend an hour together and give one person a glimmer of hope, it's all that's worth it. Hope never fails. Hope never fails. Thank you, Jim, so much.